Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Exodus. We'll be at the end of Exodus chapter 21 and into chapter 22 today. And as we open this portion of God's Word, uh, may that be our prayer, that the Lord uses our time in His Word to lead us to know and to love Jesus more and more. I'm going to share a message to you this morning uh, titled, Making It Right. I wonder, have you ever wronged someone and then been told to make it right? You need to make that right. Now, early on in Ashley and I's dating relationship, we hit uh, a little bump in the road that threatened the future of our relationship. And I'm not going to share all the details about that uh, this morning, but suffice it to say uh, that I was to blame. And as we began to uh, enter our junior year of college, we split up for a few weeks not knowing what the future was going to hold for us. And I honestly did not know. I did not know how she felt at the time after uh, a few weeks apart. I didn't know how she felt about reconnecting, but I, I knew that I was interested in, in trying. And so either way, however this was going to unfold, I was ready to make a wrong right, not knowing uh, how she would respond. And so... I was coming in town for the weekend. I went off to college and she lived at home. And I came into town that weekend and surprised her with flowers uh, delivered and uh, a sincere note and an invitation to a date uh, expressing an apology and desire to go out together again. And a lot has happened since then. I'd be lying to you if I said that's the last bump in the road that uh, we hit. But here we are, right, 15 years later, married with three kids and grateful to God for the gift of each other. And I doubt, really, that I'm the only husband in the room this morning who's had to make it right. I doubt I'm the only sibling in the room today that's had to make something right. I doubt I'm the only friend that's gathered here in this place at this time who's, who's had to make a wrong right. When it comes to relationships, uh, God wants the guilty to make things right. But not just in our relationships with those who are close to us, not just with our family and and close friends, but with anyone and everyone whom we wrong. And as we open God's word today, we're going to see that God calls the guilty to make generous restitution. God is a God who who calls the guilty to make generous restitution. We're looking uh, at the book of the covenant as we're looking at these few chapters once again that follow the giving of the Ten Commandments between uh, from God to his rescued people, a people who've been redeemed from slavery. And he is unpacking various scenarios that they will encounter and telling them what it means, what it looks like to live as his people, as his holy nation, as his kingdom of priests, as his treasured possession in that place And in that time, he's laying out the various stipulations of the relationship that he is inviting them into. And so let's prepare to hear from him. I want to invite you to look with God's word with me. Exodus chapter 21. I'll begin reading in verse 33 and then read through chapter 22, verse 15, a fairly lengthy passage of scripture. But even so, let me invite you uh, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit. Uh, for the reading of God's holy word. Let's hear from the Lord. Exodus 21, beginning in verse 33. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. 
If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it pinned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. Chapter 22, whoever steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in at night and is struck a fatal blow, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, the defender is guilty of bloodshed. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution, but if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for the theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, they must pay back double. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray, and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution from the best of their own field or vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. Verse 7, if anyone gives a neighbor silver or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges and they must determine whether the owner of the house has laid hands on the other person's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property, about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judges declare guilty must pay back double to the other. If anyone gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to their neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this, and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, restitution must be made to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, the neighbor shall bring in the remains as evidence and shall not be required to pay for the torn animal. If anyone borrows an animal from their neighbor and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, they must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the borrower will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the loss. Would you bow with me? Father, speak to us now. Instruct us according to your word, Lord, that we might know and follow Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. God calls the guilty to make generous restitution. That's, that's what we see here, I think, and that's the principle behind the various, the, the, the many faceted scenarios and situations described in this particular text. Now, who are the guilty? Who are the guilty? Sometimes, friends, we know that we're guilty, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes, perhaps oftentimes, we, we push the blame on others for our own wrongs, and sometimes we don't even know we're wrong. We make excuses, or we get defensive, or we expect someone else to clean up our mess, but true justice demands more than just that. And so as we continue here, learning about God's standard of righteousness and justice that He 
reveals through the giving of His laws, I want to mention several principles conveyed, I think, in this text that are consistent with what we see elsewhere in God's Word. And the first principle is this. God holds the negligent accountable. God is a God who holds the negligent accountable. Who are the negligent? Well, the negligent are those who fail to act responsibly. Such as those who whose open pit leads to the demise of their neighbor's livestock or whose violent bull attacks another's animal or those who accidentally allow their herd to graze upon their neighbor's grass or the one who carelessly starts a fire that consumes his neighbor's garden. Now those examples probably seem rather foreign to us. Those may not be everyday situations that we might encounter, but what about the neighbor's dog that digs up your flowers? What about uh, the parent whose child backs into the neighbor's mailbox? Or or what about uh, when your door, uh, your car door scratches the car that's parked next to you? According to God's word, it's not enough to say, I'm, I'm really sorry if we've caused damage. Restitution is in order. God calls the guilty to make generous restitution. It's not just the criminals. We see that here. It's not just the criminals and obvious offenders who need to pay reparations, but it's any and all responsible for wronging others, even when it's unintentional. God holds the negligent accountable. And second, we see here from His Word that God requires the thief to pay back more than he stole. God requires the thief to pay back more than he stole. Now, the thief is in a different category because stealing is no accident, right? You, you might accidentally take something from time to time, but, but true thievery is no accident. You, you steal an ox and sell it, you gotta give five back. You steal a sheep and sell it, you gotta give four back. If you can't pay, you've gotta work until you've paid it off. You steal one and you keep it for yourself, and it's found out, then you gotta give it back, plus another one. In fact, the general rule that we see Portrayed here is that you give back twice as much as you take. And of course, these laws were meant to deter uh, the potential thief. God requires the thief to pay back more than he stole. But even so, notice, notice here that the life of the thief still has value. Even the life of the the thief, the life of the criminal is not to be discarded. All of these case laws still operate under the principle of talionic justice, meaning that the punishment must fit the crime. It must be in line with the crime. It must be proportionate punishment. And when these couple of chapters are interpreted, read together, it becomes quite clear that God values life over property. God is a God who, who values life over property, particularly human life. Human life is worth more in the eyes of God, more in the eyes of our God. Unlike some of the other ancient law codes during that time, Hammurabi's Code and others that allowed for the killing of thieves. Law allowed thieves to be executed. God's law does not. It protects and values life, all human life. Like many laws, even today, Notice here that God distinguishes between the thief that breaks in at night and the one who breaks in during the day. In the dark, the homeowner didn't have time to ask questions, but simply to defend himself. In the daytime, however, the home 
owner had a responsibility to distinguish between a murderer and a thief and with the latter to take him to the proper authorities for justice. No place here for vigilante justice. God was teaching true justice to his redeemed people. He's telling them that it's unjust to put a thief to death. Instead, the thief is to pay off his debts, ensuring the victim gets what's rightfully his, and that there is indeed justice all the way around. In other words, it's not, it's not up to us. It's not up to you and to me. It's not up to the average citizen to enforce the law of the land, which leads us to the next principle that's given here. And that is this, that God calls judges to exercise justice. God gives and calls judges to exercise justice. We see this here in verse 8 of chapter 22. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges and they must determine whether the owner of the house has laid hands on the other person's property. See, back before banks and secure storage facilities, people who traveled would entrust their valuables oftentimes to a neighbor. Because we don't do this uh, so much uh, today. We uh, don't uh, take our bag of silver and gold and carry it to our neighbor's house and say, hey, would you watch this while I'm away? But perhaps think dog-sitting. Uh, or house sitting for a neighbor who's away. If something happens to their belongings while in your care, uh, and there's no obvious guilty party to make restitution, then the one who's been entrusted with the belongings is to appear before the judges, or the elders in this case, to determine if he or she is at fault, to get to the bottom of this. And then the next verse is sort of a catch-all for all disputable cases of theft. Verse 9. In all cases... In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judges declare guilty must pay back double to the owner. Friends, God calls judges to exercise justice. And finally, lastly, lastly, here we see that God expects those at fault to take full responsibility. God's kingdom and God's economy, God expects those who are at fault to take full responsibility. Verses 10 through 15, we're not going to unpack every scenario mentioned here, but they continue to describe scenarios of safekeeping, of borrowing, and of lending. And the point is that justice demands that those who are at fault take full responsibility. If you borrow something and it breaks, restitution is owed. If you pay to rent an object or an animal, the rental fee should be high enough to cover any damages. Stepping back from all of this, this chapter and the surrounding chapters, I hope we're seeing that though this, this context and the various laws that are unfolding here seem a bit foreign to us, I hope we're seeing that these laws that God was giving to His rescued people, whom He had chosen as His treasured possession, were for their own good. For their own good. He he was teaching them how to live together in community. He was teaching them what it it meant to truly love their neighbors by valuing life and respecting property and ensuring justice. First, these laws were fair and impartial, not slanted in favor of the wealthy, but promoting justice for all. Now, if you grew up in church, you 
probably remember a children's song about a wealthy man uh, who was a wee little man. Remember that song, a wee little man who wanted to see the great teacher and miracle worker whom he had heard was passing through town, his town, the town of Jericho. Zacchaeus was his name. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in, right, a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, his way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. Come on down, I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. And oh, how the whole town was suddenly angry, because Zacchaeus wasn't just any man, was he? He was a thief. He was a crook, a cheat. He he was the chief tax collector in Jericho who would send his strong men out to force all the Jews to pay their taxes. You say, what's so bad about that? Well, in the process, he would be sure to skim plenty of it off the top, to pad his own pockets. This is how he became so wealthy. He kept two sets of books, one for the Roman government and another for himself. Jesus may well have shouted that day. He would have been perfectly legitimate in shouting that day, Hey, crook! Hey, sinner! Hey, cheat! Come on, I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to hang out with you for a while, for I came to seek and to save the lost. And brother, you are lost. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. The song goes on, but a happy man was he. For he had seen the Lord that day, and a happy man was he, and a very happy man was he, because he had encountered the saving grace of God. The mercy of God had gripped him, and he realized the depth of his own sin. Friends, he was convicted of his crimes, and he was broken before God and set out to make things right. Friend, like Zacchaeus, see your sin in light Of the Savior's love. See your sin. The depth of your sin. In light of the Savior's love. In in light of what Christ the Savior has done for you. You see the law that we're reading here in Exodus. Exposes our sin. And if when we read it. You don't see your sin. You're not being honest with yourself. God calls the guilty to make generous restitution whether we meant to wrong our neighbor or not. And yet, how often do we make excuses? How often do we blame others or otherwise try to get away with it? I think God is saying, though your natural sinful propensity is to seek more and more and more for yourself at the expense of others, I'm calling you to bend over backwards for the good of others, even if it means great cost to you. But Christian follower of Jesus, as you well know, Christ is not calling you and I to do something that He has not already done and already done for us. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John says, this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, in His perfect justice, in God's perfect justice, our supreme judge demands judgment for our sins. And yet, in His abundant mercy, our Heavenly Father gives His spotless and pure Son to take the judgment for our sins. What a love. What a sacrifice. What a God. This God who has paid our debt 
He, he has made the restitution, so to speak. He's, he has paid it for us. We had wronged Him, but He has paid the price for our salvation. And all there is left for us to do is to trust Him and His sacrifice and to give our lives for His glory. When we see our sin in light of the Savior's love, how could we not give ourselves fully to Him? You can see your sin in light of the Savior's love and serve the Lord God whom you have offended. Serve this one, this almighty one who has paid your debt, who has reconciled you to himself. You see, every single wrong we've committed, yes, against our neighbors, is ultimately, though, a wrong that we have committed against our maker, sin against the almighty God. And church, even so, He has come to seek and to save sinners. He has come to pour out His mercy upon us that we might know the joy of being His treasured possession and His people. God expects, He calls the, the guilty to make generous resti- restitution. We, we, we can't pay what we owe Him, but what we can do is give our lives to Him and for Him. And so Paul writes, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters... I urge you, believers, I urge you, church, in view of God's mercy, in light of what He has done for you, in view of His mercy, to offer your bodies, all of you, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Hebrews chapter 13 says that we give God a sacrifice of praise. Brothers, sisters, serve the Lord God whom you have offended. Live your life for His glory, by worshiping God and worshiping Him alone, by loving Him as the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love and serve Him. And as you do, shine the light of His mercy to all those you encounter. Church, share the Savior's love. Share this incredible love, the love of the Most High God who took on human flesh ultimately to give His life in your place, in my place, so that we could be reconciled and restored to Him, so that we could be forgiven our sins and given eternal life. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, throughout both Testaments, God is calling His people to love Him. He's calling them to know Him, and He's telling them that one of the ways they love Him, one of the ways that we love God, is by loving our neighbors as ourselves. And that's what that chief sinner turned child of God did. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, the regulations of Exodus 22 that we've read this morning requiring four times or 400% repayment were for those who were caught stealing. Not those who voluntarily came forward and admitted the wrongdoing. In fact, the law later states in Leviticus that those who come forward to confess their thievery only owed 120%. What they took plus a fifth. In other words, like Paul... Zacchaeus is here, stay, is here saying, in light of what he's experienced at the mercy of God, he's saying, look, I'm the worst of sinners. But because I've been shown the greatest mercy, I'm devoting my life to the kind of deep generosity that spreads the name and the reputation of Jesus my Savior. He enacts the kind of life transformation fitting for those who bear the name of Jesus. Paul writes, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work 
doing something useful with their own hands. Why? That it may, that they may have something to share with those in need. Church, we have something to share with those in need today. We have a story to tell. We have a message to share. We have a love to show. Church, let's share with those in need. And what folks need today, in 2020, what folks need today more than anything is Jesus Christ. To know Him and the depth of His love. To be reconciled to our Maker through Him and to experience forgiveness of sins and new life in Him. What we need, what all need today, more than anything, is Jesus. Friend, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the one who can make you right with God now and forever? Would you bow with me, Father? We thank you today for Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Father, we thank you for the the depth of your love. We thank you for your abundant mercy. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. And Father, I pray now for those that are gathered here in this place and others that perhaps are watching at home. Father, we pray. I pray for those who do not know you. Lord, that here and now they would turn to you and they would confess their sin before you. That They would say, like Zacchaeus no doubt said to Jesus, they would say, Lord, I've offended you. I've wronged you. Forgive me. I trust in you. I want to follow after you. Father, I pray that everyone listening now would be characterized by true repentance and faith in Jesus. Lord, lead us to know and to follow you. To live for your glory. To give our lives as a living sacrifice to you. Proclaiming the riches of your grace. And Father, as we respond now, as we sing your praise, as we confess our sin, as we open our hearts and our lives to you, we pray that your spirit would lead us and that we would respond, every single one of us, Lord, that we would respond in a way that exalts the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.